It's the Redirect Podcast. Search industry research, discussion, and analysis from the Black Truck Media and Marketing Headquarters. And now, redirecting you to the Black Truck Team. Welcome to episode 34 of the Redirect Podcast. I'm Jason Dodge, founder of Black Truck Media and Marketing. Joining me on the Redirect this week is special guest Cindy Crum. Cindy is the CEO and founder of Mobile Moxie and an author of the book Mobile Marketing, Finding Your Customers No Matter Where They Are. Uh, Cindy is super knowledgeable when it comes to mobile search and has been on the forefront of, of mobile SEO probably back to 2005 well before the iPhone was even out. Uh, recently, she published a, a really great in-depth blog series on the mobile first index and the impact that it will have on brands. And we had the opportunity to deep dive on this subject with Cindy. And she came to us and delivered a ton of great insights that I hope you enjoy. Let's listen along. Thank you for being on the Redirect podcast. It's a pleasure. Uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to uh, hear you and Emily speak at a few search marketing conferences. Uh, in the past couple of years, so I really appreciate you uh, being on the redirect and uh, and really being able to share your knowledge with our listeners. No problem. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Cool. Um, so, just kind of as a, as an introduction, um, really recently you published uh, the Mobile Moxie team published a very in depth four part article uh, on the Mobile First Index with in Google. Uh, we're going to link to that in the show notes, but I personally have gotten through three of the four parts because you just published, I think, the fourth part of it. No, I just published the third part. The fourth part's not, not even live yet, so you couldn't have read it. So okay. you're, you're right on point. Okay, cool. Um, so it really, you go pretty deep. I mean, honestly, uh, there's some incredible information in there and incredible knowledge on, on not only uh, what Google has been taunting for the, the mobile first index that, you know, really, when are we going to see that roll out? Um, so I, I'd like to try and give people a little bit of a background and a reminder. We've covered it a couple times on, on previous episodes, but maybe from your perspective, just as a, a quick reminder of what is the mobile first index? Why should we be worried about it? How is it different from desktop index? Is it going to be a replacement? That that type of thing, I think, would be really great. Uh, sure. Okay. So um, Google started talking about mobile first indexing uh, over a year ago, um, maybe like two years ago almost, but they started hinting at it. Um, and the idea is the way I've been explaining it to it is we have to break the words down in the naming because Google um, named it very, they didn't name it like a silly animal name. They gave it names and the words have meaning. And I think if we break it down to say mobile means what mobile originally meant before it meant phone, which is mobile means movable, portable, uh, stuff like that. And then first means prioritized, but it doesn't mean only, and that's an important point. Um, and then index. And index is a concept that we had way before search engines. Um, the idea of an index is it's a, a vast repository of organized information or ways to find organized information. And so before the 
Google index, there was the Dewey Decimal System was an index of all the books, and there were yellow pages that were indexed alphabetically, um, and white pages that were indexed by last name, things like that. And they so all it takes to be an index is to have a unique identifier and a way of organizing the unique identifiers. Um, be it alphabetically, by color, whatever. Um, and so when we put these three words together, I think of mobile first indexing as meaning like portable, prioritized organization of information. Um, and what we've heard from Google goes along with that. They're saying that there's currently the old desktop index and there's the mobile index and they want to transition everyone in the desktop index over to the mobile index even if it's a desktop oriented page, even if it's really slow, uh, the mobile index is gonna include all the information that the desktop index did. Um, and what Gary clarified uh, at a conference last week in Amsterdam was that um, you're either in one or the other, you're not gonna be in both. So they'll, they'll operate, they'll, they'll, operate uh, they'll operate two, but you'll be in one or the other, right? Well, so indexes are different from algorithms. So you can have two indexes operating with an algorithm pulling potentially from both. Um, and I think we may be seeing some of that already um, in the desktop and mobile searches that we're doing now. Um, that's just a theory. But yeah, they're saying one or the other, not both. And they're saying that some have already been transitioned. And since no one's freaking out because they lost ranking, that means that they've been transitioned. They're still ranking the same way they were. That tells me the current algo is pulling from both indexes. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think you're right. And we've, we've, we've talked about it before where, I, and I mean, in reality, is it's the right direction, we could say, you know, as, having been in the search marketing industry for a while and yourself too, where, I mean, if the majority share of searches are done on a, you know, air quotes, mobile device, then ultimately the index needs to reflect that. And Google knows it. And to provide the best user experience, naturally migrate toward that direction. Um, and we know that sites, if they're mobile responsive and you're already there already, Odds are you should be okay. You should you should shouldn't. It's not like a, a freak out and, and chase the algorithm type situation. Yeah, they they wanting to avoid that so much that they've started pre-announcing all the mobile things. You know, they don't want Florida or whatever where things went like this. They're now starting to roll the the updates out really slowly. Um, in ways where it's not a jarring change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which I think is really, I think that's really great. I think it's, I, it's nice as a search marketer to be able to have that information. Um, you know, what is it, what does it mean to all of us? I think is the, is the big thing. So we're going to have, we're going to have a mobile index that better reflects where users are searching or spending the more, majority of their time. Um, do I, I think it's inevitable it's going to happen. There's not really a good timeline as to truly when it's going to roll out. They've said it's going to roll out gradually over time. And per your previous statement, like it's already happening. It's already happening. It's already rolling out. Um, if you read the third article that went out today, I talk about how I think um, image search is purely mobile first already. Oh, hmm. What's your um I what's your what's your take on that? Explain that a little bit more why you think that that 
the image search is, is purely mobile already. Well, I don't say this in the article, but um, image, image search is easier to make mobile first uh, in some ways because um, uh, part of the hard thing about making the web mobile first is uh, the voice only component mm -hmm. and images are never going to be voice only. That's kind of like a hard stop. You can't make an image appreciable by voice only. Yeah. Um, so, and there's not going to be eyes free image searches. So that probably made that job a little bit easier. Um, what we see happening in image search, uh, and the reason that I think that it's probably coming from the mobile first index is it does appear to be much more semantically organized than it was before. And we've been seeing, if you watch image searches, there have been appreciable changes in the past couple of months of what's ranking for terms and, and how it's ranking. Uh, but the other thing that you'll see is we have now images that are tagged with what kind of a page that they're from. So for instance, a product search will have a little product icon, a recipe will have a little recipe icon. And for a while with the product searches, you could actually filter images by size, seller and price. Mm -hmm. They've taken that down, but what they're doing is they're making uh, the entity understanding better there, right? So when you search by price, then the entity understanding engine is like, okay, she's looking for a product, drop all the things that don't have a price and find the product. But what if I'm searching for, like lots of um, people searching for a picture of something might be comparison shopping or looking for ideas. Like if you're buying furniture for your house and you search for it um, in Google Images, you might be looking to buy it or you might be looking to see how um, interior decorators have styled a room with it, right? And so that allows the entity understanding where Google can say, this is a product, but here is uh, information and ideas, pictures, blogs about said product. And so they all sit together really nicely. Um, and so, and, and same thing with recipes. Um, you, you, thematically, yeah. thematically things really come together in that, in, in, right. in that well, relationship. And the other thing is it'd be harder for people to freak out about image search changing because no one's paying as much attention. But um, the other thing to think about is image search and putting images in order by entity understanding allows us to do like all world languages together because language is one of these things where um, Google's gotten a lot better at language. And in my next article, I'm going to talk about the worldwide impact and language stuff, but entities are uh, language agnostic, mm. right? A blue chair is a blue chair yep. in language. And if I'm just searching for a picture of a blue chair, they could be pulling in the translated word blue chair in Japanese, Chinese, and showing the images from all of those SERPs, even or all of those old SERPs, right? That, that were in different languages, but wouldn't have shown up, but now can because it's understanding the entity blue chair, not just the keyword. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, I mean, very, I, and, and I think with the onset and, and advancement with machine learning and that direction too, that's only going to get better. That relationship right. is, is only going to get better to be able to say entity blue chair, what, what manufacturer, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't matter 
does it matter what country? Does it matter what brand? Here's right. here's all the blue chairs. Right. Um, or or if you put a specific blue chair, here's all the blog posts with pictures of, of that blue chair in a room, right? You don't want just the ones that are written in English because you're looking at images you don't care. Yeah, and if you, I think the the closest example you will see to that to that level of detail that you just touched on is if you are, I'm a Google Pixel user, uh, and if you are a user of Google Photos, yep. specifically in, in the mobile OS, it's incredible that that given just a short period of time, it it knows who my daughter is. It knows what a skiing picture looks like. It knows what, you know, it knows thematically what these items are. In your case, your words, entities. Um, and it can piece those together very, very quickly. Yep. The other thing that we're seeing in image search, just because it came up, is now they're even doing uh, related searches, uh, option bars as an image result. So if you search for Starbucks, um, it'll show a bunch of Starbucks and then amongst them, you might find a panel with three buttons to click that says, did you mean Starbucks coffee? Did you mean Starbucks near me? Or did you mean find a Starbucks? Um, because those are the most commonly related terms. Um, and those have never shown up in image search until now. Um, but it makes sense in a... In a limited, um, like non-phone kind of search way, and this is what I get at with like mobile meaning not necessarily a phone. Mobile means movable and portable. So, like, let's say I have a, a Google Assistant enabled TV, and I, there I can do an image search, but I'm doing it with my voice, so I yes. can't click. But I might want to filter my image search down on Starbucks to just Starbucks near me or just Starbucks coffee or just yep. Starbucks menu or whatever. And so when you prompt people with a multiple choice option, they're more likely to, to filter using words that the AI is expecting, which will make the AI better at filtering. Um, whereas if the, if you try and do a subsequent search without the suggested filters or, or other relevant things, the AI has to work harder to know what you want. No, it's a, it's a it's a great point too, and I, and I think it gets into more of the you you talk a little bit more about Google Actions, and that's a that's a big thing. I'm I, I don't want to say I'm uh, I push back a lot on voice search. I, there's there's a lot of power behind it, and so mobile first index shifting from just that concept to voice search and, and natural language searches. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about this this concept, as you mentioned, of eyes free. That's what Google calls it, eyes free. My my biggest concern about everything is that okay, even right now, let's say let's say Google's and, and Alexa for this case too. We can talk about Amazon Alexa being call it ninety five percent ish accurate, just yeah. a, a ballpark. But but what's going to happen after I say okay, Google? you know, find the nearest, um, you know, gas station near me, but at, it's the next prompt. It's, it's the, I think Google calls it Google actions. Um, I would say, are they the equivalent of Alexa skills? We've talked about Amazon Alexa skills before. It's that it's that, um, in traditional search terms, it's after the click, what is happening after I do the search. So after I do the search query, then what? It's so in your pixel, if you go all the way to the left screen and engage with the assistant there, 
They're using information from the phone assistant to inform what happens next. So for instance, um, because it'll give you multiple choice too, because that's what AI kind of loves is you choosing a multiple choice because that's funneling things down. Um, so like if you search for the weather, weather in Denver, it's going to give you today's weather and then it's going to give you the next suggested searches. Do you want weather for the weekend? Do you want weather for next week? Um, do you want weather for tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And you click on those when you're in the assistant on your phone. And so it's going to assume that maybe just for you or maybe they're crowdsourcing sourcing everyone or a little of both, the most likely next step is this. And so in the Starbucks query, if you were doing that in assistant, it would probably give get directions to a Starbucks order, open the Starbucks app, get Starbucks calorie counts or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the nice thing about the assistant is because it's at the OS level, it can launch other apps. So it could open the app, the Starbucks app, if it were deep linked appropriately, open it to your most likely order and you can just do a reorder. Okay. Um, stuff like that. So I see your, your trepidation, um, but, but I think that over time it's going to, it's going to be getting so much data so fast. But it's going to learn really quickly too. For sure. And, um, is, uh, what similarly, what exists in like iOS in, in the Apple world, um, for those features, uh, is Siri as advanced or is it, is it, behind now in terms of the assistant side of things? So I've never been a huge Siri fan. Um, I mean, I me neither, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, I think that they want to be there, but I don't think that they're doing it that well now. I think that um, if... In some cases, they're anticipating the next action, like... Potentially, um, if you search for a Starbucks, it'll give you the Starbucks website, the Starbucks app, and then a map set of results. So you can click directly two directions. But I think that uh, Siri is so limited in terms of being a search engine. Um, like would, the only way... I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think that's the, that's the difference of... Uh, they were the early adopter in terms of when they acquired that technology, Apple, uh, to just kind of saying, hey, we're first to market with this. This is fantastic. And everybody thought it was cool. But was it ultimately, was it really usable by the time Google and Amazon and everything? And when everybody caught up with, with uh, once, once AI caught up, right. their technologies caught up with voice searches and voice prompts. I think Apple still, and they even recently admitted that, yeah, it's behind and we need to do something yeah. about it. And, and they don't talk about Siri having the ability to learn very much, if at all. Agreed. Um, and they have so much data. They should be doing that. There's no reason to not do it except for potentially privacy issues, which we know like that's where they think that they shine. And mm -hmm. they do, I guess, fair enough. They're, they're better at privacy than Google is. Um, but at a, at a pretty severe cost. Yeah, totally. What, so I, I think building off of the idea of, uh, the, the, after the search. So after the, the initial query happens, the, uh, command or prompt, uh, I think it calls it command. Probably. I think if you, you call it out pretty detailed in your, in your first part article, 
this seems to be the biggest hangup and sticking point, I, I believe, for a lot of at least search marketers um, who are trying to, to grasp and figure out, okay, what do we, do we need to do anything about it now? Uh, if we're working with major brands or even mid-sized brands, are there things that we should be thinking about? And are there steps that we should be taking uh, when it's not only, you know, not just optimizing for voice search per se, but what, what are the things that we need to be thinking about to, to help drive traffic from a voice search? So it's a good question. Uh, a lot of SEOs and marketers really, really struggle like at their core. They don't know what their job is going to be without a website, but it is possible that companies will be competing in search results without websites or without URLs. And so we've got to thinking of ourselves more as marketers, marketing a product, because the website doesn't actually make the money. The product makes the money. The website is just an assist, right? Yeah. It gets people, it makes it easier for people to get the product, pay for the product. The product is really making the money. And so we've got to start opening our mind to that concept. And what that might mean depends on what kind of an industry you're in. Um, and I've kind of broken the, the blog post series that you're referencing up. And the first one is kind of just information searches. The next one was more about media queries uh, for uh, audio or video entertainment. Uh, the, the third one was about shopping um, and e-commerce. And the first one's going to be about location maps and, and international stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of tried to break them up in what I think are the micro moments Google talks about. I want to know, I want to go, I want to buy. What's the other one? I want to do. Yep, do. Yep. Um, so, um so it's hard to break things up along that, but if you think about that, that those are kind of the, the things that the assistant is capable of. They fall into those categories. And so if, if, it's, if it's selling something that people want to buy, there are strategies for that. I think the best strategy, if you're a massive e-tailer, is going to be to mark up your database using the data set schema because I think Google is getting ready to say, we'll just ingest your database. Just let us do that because it's faster and easier than crawling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it's essentially what they're doing with Google Shopping already. They take in marked up feeds. Yep. Um, and it saves them from having to crawl through JavaScript and stuff. Yep. Um, and it can be accurate. So familiarize yourself, certainly. I mean, if you haven't already, familiarize yourself with uh, probably some even base level knowledge on, on schema, schema markup. But um, certainly when you talk about your data feeds, whether it's a shopping feed, whether it's, it's key individuals and services, yeah. that type of thing, um, especially from a commerce perspective, I think that's smart. And you can do the same thing from uh, an entertainment perspective. And yes, absolutely. For me or by me. Your media catalog, um, whatever, that can also be marked up and ingested, which I think they're going to want to do because you can buy. That's another thing that you can buy. Some of these things fall into multiple categories. Mm -hmm. You can play music or you can buy music. So that play is a do. Um, so, but marking it up in schema, the reason that's important for mobile first indexing that, that I think a lot of people are missing, it's not just about surfacing in a keyword oriented query. It's about surfacing in a voice organized filtering situation 
So if you say, and I'm not going to say it because it'll trigger my devices, but if you say, <laughs> okay, search engine, I want to listen to um, country music. Um, then it could either just start playing or it could ask a question. Mm. Um, let's say, let's reverse it. Let's say I want to buy country music. Then it can say, okay, what country music do you want to buy? And I'll say, I don't know, something with a good banjo. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but, but banjo is marked up in schema. Then my stuff, if that's what I'm selling, will be included in the filter. If, if, if there's music that has banjo, but it's not marked up in schema, it will be filtered out. Makes sense. So if you're missing the mark on schema, the major concern is in any kind of voice-oriented, entity-understanding kind of way, if you're not marked up properly, you just get filtered out on the first filter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. So you're trying, and, and really, schema in general, it's, it's kind of purpose is to provide that path, the path of least resistance to your point, you know, originally of don't make me have to crawl this entire thing, you know, right. because, because if it's, if it's an option between uh, my site or my competitor's site and my competitor's site is marked up properly with, yeah. you know, even, even a little bit of schema, um, then odds are it's going to favor that. Yep. Because it's faster and easier to, to surface and index. And you think about it, Google probably has the technology or could develop technology to listen to all the music and take it up itself. And it may well do that. Or it may, once we've tagged up the starter, the feeder stuff with all the instruments, then it can say this sounds like that and compare it unmarked stuff, which I think is probably what they're going for in a lot of things. They just need enough people to mark up their content. Then they can do a machine learning algorithm to learn how to identify similar sounds or similar images or similar whatever. Totally. Uh, so we're feeding their AI. We're on, you know, Google unpaid labor. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Their AI. But it still means that you have the benefit of being there the longest, the first, because I think those still going to matter um, just in a different application of, of that kind of an algorithm, right? The history of, of having the markup for Banjo yeah. is going to help you. And I, and I think that, that that is the, maybe that's the precursor, if you will, to getting people off of... Um, the first page of SERPs. So if I'm if I'm winning the featured snippet right now, which which Google Assistant is going to be reading that back to me, right. um, your device is going to read you back that information. Um, that's probably the first step in the direction that they're going to go from a, a taking action perspective, a command perspective of of what's next. Right. Um, go here, go there. Which is why even I think their micro moments, as you pointed out, are very much in that in that see do. Uh, yeah. type of relationship. Those are almost, I, I don't want to boil down what Google's doing, but they're almost the easiest to accomplish. Yeah, the easiest. They're the big, the big buckets that you can mm-hmm. put things into. And things might exist in multiple buckets, but um, that's because they're rich entities, right? And that's right. important to know which buckets they are in and which ones they're not. So let's talk about commerce then okay. and, and kind of flip 
almost 180 where we go from these these things to do, things to see, those things that are near me, and let's go buying. Um, I won't talk about ad opportunities yet, but from a commerce perspective, uh, you know, my opinion on the matter is is that uh, voice search and and this eyes free. It would be really great, to, especially if I think about the Amazon Alexa world of uh, reorders, staple goods, things of that nature. It's it's obviously a natural play for Prime and and things like that. Um, it, it's if you unless you I suppose if you were living under a rock you wouldn't uh, notice that as a marketer, but it's it's a direct tie. How, how do you think in a Google world in a search world we're we're going to see that evolve and and shift? So here is what I speculated about in Article 3 and what you can expect more, more ideas about in Article 4 is um, it appears to me Google right now has two shopping outlets. They have Google Shopping and they have Google Express. And it seems like a lot of the companies that are in Google Shopping are also in Google Express, but some new companies are in Google Express as well. Um, I don't do paid, so this is a lot of guesswork for me, um, just what I can observe. The fact that there's so much crossover makes me think either they're related or they're, they're ingesting the same kinds of files. Files that they take in are the same, and so companies see a benefit to being both places. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting about Google Express is they're trying to, it seems like trying to compete there with Amazon Prime, Amazon Fresh, uh, Whole Foods, um, because Google Express search results are more uh, location-oriented, and they're pushing harder on the idea of um, quick shipping. Mm -hmm. So I think Google Express is going to be the Amazon Prime, Amazon Fresh competitor. Uh, I think it's all going to be voice enabled. I think you're going to be able to reorder. The nice thing there is that um, uh, Google Express is managing all your loyalty accounts. If you already have accounts with the store, they're managing that. So you're not beholden to one store as much as with Amazon, it's kind of all or nothing. Um, and so I think that Google is going for the, the breadth play. Like we will take in all the stores and offer um, voice search, quick shipping. Uh, and the reason they can do the quick shipping is because they're only showing you products that show up in your zip code already. Yep. So it, what seems likely right now is that they're just sending drivers to move packages and things around within a zip code area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think, and this may be like too futuristic, <laughs> um, but but I don't think so actually I think the reality of driverless cars is getting closer and closer oh, and, yeah, off sure. of that. Mm -hmm. and Google could use their driverless cars like to pick things up and deliver things really easily and especially if Google I feel like when Google starts uh, ingesting feeds from all the local stores about what their inventory is so that it can be sold in Google Express What's going to happen is Google is going to have a really good uh, idea of individual stores inventory control system, which has always been a nightmare for local ordering like Best Buy or DSW. They always offer you the option to go pick it up in the store, but then half the time you get there in the store, even though it's set on the website, it has it, it doesn't. So true. Google sees the opportunity to really help companies improve on that. 
and in doing so get a, get into the action by doing the delivery and the, the inventory control piece and just so that companies don't have to come to companies, they don't have to do all that stuff. They just send a feed to Google. And and I think it's like they're definitely at a disadvantage compared to Amazon Prime right now, but they do have a compelling competitor coming up. If they can execute all the way and get all the stores to buy in, and I think that's where they're struggling. There's been a slow buy-in, and the biggest hurdle right now is the minimums for the free shipping. Mm. Different stores have different um, minimums, and you cannot combine if I have something from Walgreens and something from the grocery store and they don't add up to the minimum, then I don't get free shipping. Um, and that's way too complicated. And if Google's listening, I think they need to take the hit like Amazon did and be like, go into the red on this mm-hmm. so they can fix the pricing model for the shipping because that's what's going to stop people. People resent paying for shipping. No, I think, I, I, and I think you're spot on with that until they figure out the logistical aspect of it, which is what, you know, uh, it took Amazon a little while to figure out. That's why they, that's why they went out. It's, and it's no different than what we see in the retail landscape now. I mean, everybody has frustrations of shopping local. It doesn't matter what it, what it is. And local can be your large big box retailer to your, your actual true local mom and pop boutique. But, um, you know, you can go there and be frustrated and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, like Target, for instance, might have, well, you can order that online and we'll ship it to the store. Well, why would I do that? You know, so put yourself in the user's perspective and say, so I do a search. I know what I'm looking for. Yeah. And and then that's the beauty of Prime is that we all pay, we all pay for it, you know, on an annual basis. And I get two-day shipping. Google yeah. saying you don't have to pay for it, but the minimums are the hang up right now. The minimums are the hang up. And, and FYI, Target just announced either same day shipping or next day shipping. They're trying to get into the fight too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's compelling. Except they haven't done a good job of, of marketing a lot of the stuff where they are competitive. Um, Target, for instance, if you're a red card member, they already have free Free shipping. Mm-hmm. It's not two-day shipping, but at least it's enough for anything. So you can order a two-dollar pair of socks and get it delivered free shipping, but it'll be like seven days instead of two. Yeah. So really, everyone's trying to to chase Amazon, and and I think the only way, as I recall, when Amazon Prime came out, they were taking a hit, and they were uh, by uh, like. The, the cost of the shipping was impacting Amazon uh, and they were kind of paying when users weren't paying for the shipping, they were kind of paying additional and they went into the red for a little while yep. while people signed up and got bought into the idea. And then the vol- the volume made it so much that it came back out in the black because of the, the money that they made up on volume, right? And I think that's what Google's going to have to do is they're going to have to take a leap of faith and go into the red or be unprofitable for a little while to cover the cost of shipping just to get the critical mass of users. Yeah, great point because uh, Amazon has the number, or not Amazon, excuse me, Google has the number of users right. with accounts, but 
how many of those are buying. So that's, that's going to be the big deal. And, and obviously from a, um, a mobile perspective, if they can, can carve out uh, just even a percentage of that, obviously it yeah, will cover. Yeah. Their margins on everything else will cover the cost of them giving free shipping. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about, um, about the commands and, and um, uh, the, the various, I, I guess, uh, prompts and things like that. Talk to me about brands taking ownership of that. And, and should we, do we see brands of, of all sizes take ownership of that? Do you think the, do you think it's advantageous for, uh, you know, we've got big, big box retailers that should take advantage of it and major P and G type brands to small companies. Like what's your, what's your take on that? So the way that companies are really taking advantage of commands and voice search um, other than just being being well marked up with schema and, and giving the best to Google so that they can surface it in the right queries. If they want to be more proactive, um, getting the answer boxes is good, but um, creating a Google action, I think, is going to be a really good way to surface. And Google actions are essentially chatbots. And so you program in the first couple, the first few commands before it takes an action. So you have to have something that only requires a few questions and all the questions can be multiple choice or yes or no. Um, and, and then uh, it has to have a way of paying if it costs money. So for instance, the easiest example is uh, open table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was, I'm not sure if it, it was just a beta or whatever, but um, for a while there was an open table action. And maybe it still exists, I haven't tried it in a while. There's an open table action, so you could search Google, regular Google from your phone, and um, bring up an, uh, if you searched for a restaurant and open table, it would bring up this uh, utility directly in the SERP that had um, questions that you would answer. And it was like, uh, the first one was, um, the restaurant, if you search for a restaurant name, it would say the restaurant and the address. Um, you want to book a table for how many people, what day, what time. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you answered those questions, you could hit book the table and it would do it. And it wasn't like it was opening up the app and doing that. It was just going straight up to the same database that the app uses to execute its transactions and, and executing it there in the cloud. And so you got the email just like as if you had booked it in the app. Wow. Um, and uh, and it was done. Your table's booked. And that that's nice because it doesn't require payment. It's just a reservation. Right. Um. But what you have to understand about an action, the reason it's designed the way it is with just a couple of questions, all multiple choice, is because every question that happens in the action in the visual interface can also be done by voice only. Um, so instead of you seeing radio buttons for what time, the, the, the assistant will say, what time would you like your reservation? And if there are too many things, it'll just leave it open-ended and you say eight o'clock and hopefully it understands that. Or if there are only a few options, it, it can say, would you like it to be at 6.30, 7.30, whatever. You tell it the time, then it goes on to the next question. How many people would you like on this reservation? Three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything that happens in an action is voice or visual. 
Okay. Okay. So it's very much, I mean, there's obviously the, if this, then that, but I think using the reservation, um, approach is a really great example of, of, you know, you're heading down that path of chatbot as, as you pointed out, um, when people often say, well, okay, we want to do a chatbot. Okay. How do we get started with that? Well, let's talk customer service. What are the most commonly asked things that we're being, you know, what's being questioned of us all the time. Can we programmatically, systematically put that into a chatbot um, so that it can help answer those or at least route people to where we need them to go? This is taking it a little bit of a step further and, and turning it up a couple notches and saying, well, we can make that whole reservation process happen just by simply answering a few questions that we would over the phone or yeah. in app with exactly. with thumbs. <laughs> exactly. And building chatbots isn't as hard as you might think. There's a lot of uh, technology out there that basically lets you put in the couple of questions and the couple of potential answers, link it to if you have an execution database like OpenTable does to send the emails and do the things. Um, you link it with that. And then what happens is all of the voice stuff that goes into the chatbot gets um, associated. And if it doesn't fit with one of the commands that you've set up for the chatbot, if it's like unrecognized, then it leaves it for a human to categorize hmm. <laughs> um, so that you're training it over time. Okay, so we get some assisted machine learning in there if you right. will. Right. Okay. So if someone responds with like to the question what time and they say, Oh, I don't know, how about seven thirty-five? And it's not it's not programmed to handle that I don't know, and the seven thirty-five, the five is really throwing it off. What you can do is you can either say associate this with 7.30, or you can create a new response or a new understanding in the chat bot that says, oh, you know, we only do, you know, we only do reservations on the half hour. How's 7.30? Yep. Yep. Makes sense. So you're, yep. You're, you're basically, you need to be able to provide some sort of guidance on that response. We can't just, it's not completely unassisted and yeah. letting the machine run it. I mean, we've seen chatbots just completely go off the rails in that, in that regard, which is also truly fascinating, but not something you want to do when it comes to your restaurant and reservations. Right. And, and the other thing is, so, so you can recognize the 735 and have an intelligent response, or you just have default responses in there that are like, I'm sorry, can you say that again? Um, or I'm sorry, that, that doesn't fit with what, what we were expecting or something like that. Um, and, and if you say that doesn't fit with, with what we were expecting, then you put the rules kind of like when someone types in a password that doesn't fit the password rules. It says, oh, you screwed up. Here, here's what you, rules that you have to play by when you're answering this question. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, and that's and really getting your mind into that mode of, you know, not thinking about all the things, but just thinking about the things that commonly, it's not just the commonly asked questions, but then it's also the the little blips that can happen in there. And, and all you're doing is making it a better user experience, right? right. So, you're so, making it a smarter chatbot because a chatbot that constantly says, I'm sorry, can you say that again? Or I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand. That's a dumb chatbot. Yeah. But it's it's only a matter of training the AI. And, and actually, you don't have to be very technical to do that. 
what um, are there a couple resources you you might recommend to to kind of check out, and we can always link off to that too. Uh, the one that I liked used to be called API.ai, and they changed their name, and I can't think of it right now. But whatever API.ai became, um, cool. that one was guided by Google anyway, um, or a, a, a Google spinoff project kind of thing. I mean, it's easy to use. No, that's great. A actually, API API AI is now uh, Dialogflow. So thank you. There, there we go. There we go. A quick search turned up, turned that up. Well, so in, in kind of, I think in kind of closing, we covered a lot of different things and I want to be, I'm going to be really respectful of your time too. And the information you shared has been incredible. Um, so we know the mobile first index is coming and we talked about, you know, uh, understanding that in, in previous shows we talked about is kind of a reminder, like, there's a difference between being indexed and being ranked. Right. right. From a search, a search perspective, like it, let's let's make sure even if we it seems very basic, but those waters have been very muddied lately, even in the industry. So you know, mobile first index is going to happen. We're already seeing it roll out. It's only going to progress even faster, um, probably become smarter. Um, it will be interesting to see the number of, if there's any way to measure the eyes-free interactions, um, anybody that has tools or anything like that, that would be really phenomenal to know. Um, we're a big fan of, of the tools that you and your team have developed, the, the, the mobile search emulator and uh, just being able to render what a, what a site's going to look like in, in local presence, I think is really great. So nice job there. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Um, but I guess just seeing... available in an API too, FYI. Oh, are they? Yeah. How about that? <clears throat> Maybe we'll tap into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, at the end of the day, your, your articles, while they're really, really in depth and there's a lot of good information, I would say, like, let's not freak out about it either. Um, especially if you are a site of reasonable size that is mobile responsive you're going to be okay. Things are going to be all right. Are things going to shift around and change? Yes, as they always do. Um, but if you could give like, I don't know, just like three major takeaways kind of in closing, what, what do you think they, they would be? I totally put you in the hot seat there. So, Okay, so three major takeaways. Uh, the first major takeaway that we haven't clearly said on the show yet is uh, that I think mobile-first indexing and being in the mobile-first indexing uh, index is good but one of the main things that we'll see is, I think, hopefully more specific, more device-specific algorithms surfacing um, based on much more on the device because that has the, the right context and they can understand which of the, the micro moments someone is most likely to be doing based on the device. Mm -hmm. um, so the results will vary from one device to another and from how the search is initiated. If it's initiated with typing, you might get slightly different results because it knows that you have a keyboard. Um, if it's initiated with voice, then it might be, uh, you're gonna be weighted more heavily on whether or not a voice response is available. That's a really great point. Really good point, I mean, um, you know, and do we toss a, a tablet in there occasionally? Uh, it could come up. Um, but yeah, very, very much so if I'm on my mobile device, I'm on my phone, but did I type it? Did I ask the question verbally to the, the intent could be different. It could be the same search query, 
but the intent could be completely different. Different intent, stuff like that. And in, in the car, there are intents that would be fine on any other screen, but if the engine's running, this intent is illegal in your state, right? You yeah. cannot play video from your center console while you're driving. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, and, and Google maybe is probably expected to follow those rules. Right. So, uh, so things like that. So that's my number one. Number two, um, just something that we didn't talk about, that I think is important is, is PWAs. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to touch on that briefly, I mean, go, go for it. Well, progressive web apps are easier to crawl and index. Um, and the reason they're easier to crawl is because, uh, Google's crawling the API into the service worker. And, and so it gets rid of anything that's not critical because the service worker is programmed to cache only the critical stuff. So it's like you've weeded out all the bad code and just given the Google, the beautiful stuff for the index. So Google's <laughs> crawling the service worker PWAs, but I think that that's also how PWAs are going to be viable in a voice-only context is that it's going to be easy for it to extract something that it might be able to read out loud. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting to see, like, where does it stop reading because there aren't separate URLs as much in PWAs or they're not as necessary. So knowing when to stop might be an interesting conundrum that'll have to be solved. Uh, and similar, and I think this, I, my suspicion, this is, this is reaching, but my suspicion is that's why it started making actions for um, podcasts. Mm -hmm. So they auto-actioned podcasts. And so you can do a search and do a play blah, blah, blah podcast, and it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And... The interesting thing about podcasts is that they have commercial breaks and they have kind of sections. And so you, they might have done that as an analogy to a PWA. It's kind of a continuous flow, but there are logical breakpoints. So yeah. if they index a bunch of podcasts, finding the breakpoints, maybe that will help their understanding of how to interact with a PWA. I don't know. That's pretty <laughs> stretch. But that's my I think a lot with your number two on PWAs, that that's probably uh, I don't want to say it's the most volatile, but there's still a lot of unknowns with with PWAs. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Cool. Uh, my number three. Let's see, number three. Get a get a, a pixel. That's my a tip. Number three <laughs> is a tip. Get the newest Google phone you can because that's that's. How I'm able to see the future is I just bought it. Like I have the phone, they're releasing stuff first on Google devices, they're testing stuff on Google devices. I'm seeing crazy stuff that I think most people aren't seeing in maps. I don't know if you've played with maps recently. Oh yeah. It's insane. Um, maps is becoming its own search engine, like with entity understanding. Yes. That's all in my next article. Um, but you wouldn't know that or see that or be able to anticipate it or understand the engagement without trying it. And so at my company, the people who work for me, they, I buy them new phones every year, but they, upon the requirement that they switch between Android and iOS every other year, no oh, one's allowed to be loyal. 
<laughs> so you get the you get the full the full spectrum of experiences in seeing what's going to happen on a regular yeah, basis. You are not allowed to be fluent in one thing without being fluent in another, and you can't freeze up when someone hands you an iPhone Fair. or when someone hands you an Android device. Fair statement. I think that's really I think it's really important. Um, I'm I'm with you on on I mean being a Pixel user for almost a, a year now. A couple more on our team uh, have been Pixel users for for well over a year now too. When it first came out, and Maps certainly is it seems to be receiving the most updates uh, lately. Um, so I think even what mobile first index can mean from a local search perspective is is certainly um very i don't want to say it's very much unknown that might be a stretch of a statement for me but i I really do think that that's that's going to get weird pretty soon it's a green field it's not unknown it's just uncharted yeah absolutely it exists and we can see it Yes. You know exactly where it'll end. Yeah, spot on. And I think that's where the power of the new version of Search Console is helping uh, to be able to break down certain things from a desktop versus a, a mobile. Um, having those those tools accessible to most people now um, to be more knowledgeable about the, the mobile environment, the mobile experience versus the desktop experience. And, and just because... You look at analytics and say, oh, the majority of my users, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional services firm and the majority of my users are, you know, desktop based. Doesn't mean that it's always going to be that way and that we should alienate those of us on our mobile devices either. Absolutely. Well, they're saying by 2020, half of searches will be voice searches. I don't know if I believe that, but I'm open to it. Yeah, I would. I'm anxious to see it. I mean, even if I mean, we know that it's over 60% are are mobile searches now. Um, so I, yeah, I would be anxious to see where where it goes from the voice perspective. Absolutely. So um, awesome. I, I greatly appreciate your time. It's it's been a pleasure to talk to you and uh, and be able to share share your insights with everyone. So thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Redirect Podcast. Check out the show notes at blacktruckmedia.com and add us on iTunes and Stitcher.